This episode has gone through a bit of a rewrite for me. Originally, I wanted the entire podcast to be devoted to the subgenre of found footage and what it's kind of done and meant to Hollywood and my personal thoughts on it. But as I was putting it together, it was coming out uneven and I didn't want to record what I initially had and do a podcast that I wasn't proud of. So instead, I was still focused on the found footage subgenre. I'm going to highlight the movies that have stuck out to me and have a connection to, which is what this series is all about, really, while also talking about some things I, that uh, I find not necessarily wrong with the subgenre, but things that just stick out as to why maybe it's lost some luster a bit over the years and how it's kind of making a small comeback a little bit it's, uh, in in streaming anyways, which is probably where the subgenre probably is better suited for, honestly. So let's start off with the movie that even if you don't know or watch any found footage movies or even watch found footage horror, because obviously this is where we're focusing our, uh, our, our focus is with Spooky Season, you know what this movie is. You've heard about this movie. You've probably seen it parodied every bunch of places. That movie is The Blair Witch Project. Everyone, and I mean everyone, talked about this movie when it came out. You could not get away from the Blair Witch Project. And it's important to talk about because even though it took a tiny bit, the found footage boom was coming. Yes, it also changed the way that independent film was done, but this is a found footage episode. Uh, yes, there was uh, already big found footage movies out already, uh, but that made some waves, but not the waves like the Blair Witch Project did. Han Cannibal Holocaust and Man Bites Dog being the two big. Uh, being the two big ones, both with their own controversy to follow, but Hannibal Hol Cannibal Holocaust being the one with being the bigger one of the two, because the movie was actually banned in countries. The crew and actors and directors went to trial because of what they filmed and what they released, and they actually killed animals on film and showed it, which was obviously a big no-no back then, probably even especially now. But it wasn't until 1999. When the Blair Witch Project came out, and everyone was talking about the, uh, was talking about the subgenre, they didn't even know this was a real thing. And then, probably, they were taking this aspect, this concept of found footage, maybe a little seriously, at least for horror. They probably thought like, "Oh, this would be a nice thing for the horror franchise, for for the horror genre in in particular." And a lot of that went toward the marketing of the movie. They treated this like it was a real deal movie. They were putting out missing posters uh, for for the people, uh, for the crew. People were seriously debating whether the three leads were either actors or, or not. And that they were really missing because they put up the posters at whatever film festival. I forgot what film festival it was. The town they filmed in was visited a lot to see if the legend was true. Their sign, their, their town sign was stole multiple times. It's crazy what a movie like this did back in the day and this is pre-internet like pre-internet especially what we know of it now so it's crazy to think that's what happened but my story with the Blair Witch Project that I want to tell isn't when I first watched it I don't even remember when, the first time I watched it. I don't think I watched it in theaters I think I watched it at home but I remember when I rewatched it when the new movie was coming out when Blair Witch in 2016 was coming out which was of course a direct sequel to the first movie I was at home alone for a reason I can't remember it was a very rare night that I was at home alone. And it was at night, and my house gets very dark for some reason. I don't know why. It's, I think I've probably mentioned this on other podcasts. Maybe if I haven't, then this is the first podcast you would know that my house gets very dark. Like, seriously, pitch black down the hallways. I had the lamp on because I was eating dinner, because I can't eat in the dark. I'm, I'm, I'm not built that way. <laughs> I can't eat in the dark. 
And I saw that sci-fi was showing the movie, so I decided, screw it, let's watch it. You know, I haven't watched it in a while for, you know, maybe, you know, I know it's a direct sequel, so that's, you know, maybe they'll, you know, acknowledge something. So I watched it. For whatever reason, the copy they had of the movie had the audio super low. So I had to turn up the volume a bit, which is fine because I was, you know, at home alone. And uh, it, it was just a pain in the ass when the commercial started. But that was, that was you know, the very small thing. But I was watching the movie and I didn't know if it was because of the copy of the movie was so old or if this was how the movie was initially. And honestly, I had not gone back and watched the movie, uh, the first one, since, you know, I watched it back in 2016. It had this weird, like, vibe. It had, like, a humming that just gave off a, a movie, that just gave the movie, rather, an, a, a bigger, eerie sense. It was nerve-wracking. Like, it freaked me out. And it was only in the movie, because when the commercials played, even a tiny bit of dead air in between, there was no humming. It was just the movie. It creeped me out the entire time. And I, I am not ashamed to say, I have been not ashamed to say anything. If you listen to the Friday the 13th episode, I nearly turned off, I nearly turned off the TV. I nearly just stopped watching the movie, but I didn't. Because, I don't know, but I didn't. And again, I don't know if it was it, it, it was just because it was so low budget or the general idea of the movie. But being alone at home watching this movie, it legitimately scared the, it legitimately scared the crap out of me in my own house. I was like, I can't watch this. I can't. But I, I did, kept watching it. But after the release of The Blair Witch Project, the subgenre was releasing movies here and there. None of them really had the staying power of The Blair Witch Project. Because I think people were like, okay... You know, it's now now we know it's a movie. It's not a real thing. They're just cashing in on the concept. Okay, that's fine. I don't remember any of these movies, with the exception of the Portuguese tapes. I never watched the movie, but I remember everything around the movie. Only because I remember reading something that theaters were pulling it because people were constantly walking out of the disturbing nature of the movie. So that was the only found footage movie after the Blair Witch Project that I remember specifically. But then, again, took a, took a while. But then, but then, two thousand seven rolled around. And the boom of found footage really started, mainly because of one, again, independent movie with a nothing budget that nearly sat on the shelf, potentially forever, if it wasn't for my favorite piece of movie trivia ever, Steven Spielberg and his production company somehow got their hands on a copy of the movie, and he liked it, and they liked it, and they're like, we gotta shop this around. And that movie was Paranormal Activity. That is seriously my favorite movie trivia ever in the world. I, I don't know why. I just I just love that piece of information. I remember first hearing about Paranormal Activity through its college screenings because that's how the movie was getting around at first. It was getting through college screenings before it found its way to like the film, the big film festivals. And I think it might have premiered like at South by Southwest or Fantastic Fest, one of those two. I can't remember which one, but that's when it really like started, really, really started breaking breaking out but everyone like the Blair Witch Project was talking about paranormal activity and I remember the whole demand it campaign that they had like it was a site where you can go and click on a movie and demand it in your city and eventually the movie was gonna be making waves the demand it was basically the closest thing I can think of to the demand it campaign nowadays is fathom events as the closest thing I can think of that it would be like but eventually the movie was making enough waves that it got picked up and it started to slowly rolled out and i have the most vivid memory of hearing there was a special screening of the movie at the music box theater here in the chicagoland area where where you know i am from my brother my sister and i we got in the car and we went and we knew it was a kind of first come first serve kind of basis so we went we showed up and if you're from the area or if you at least know the area or ever been to the music box theater you know 
that there's not really a great parking area around that theater. So my brother and I and my sister, we were driving up and we saw the biggest line I have ever seen that wasn't at an amusement park. And we didn't even get out of the car because we knew we were not getting in because this line stretched the theater to give you an, an event. It's a, it's a, you know, big city, you know, big city, uh, block or typical city block. And the and the theater is kind of in the center, maybe a little bit off, but this line took over the half block that it, from where it was. And then it took a half block and then it swung around to the residential area that it's, that's sitting in the back and sitting off on the side. And that line went straight, like we couldn't even see the end of it from the residential area we're like yeah we're not getting in so we get we didn't even get out of the car and we're like no we're, we're going home thankfully we got tickets for another screening literally like a few days later they were playing it downtown in a the theater and we knew we could get seats easily so we got our seats and the movie started and to this day it is one of my favorite horror movie theater experiences ever literally top three horror theater movie experiences everyone in that theater was into the movie you could hear a pin drop every time the movie went to the ninth scenes there was an audible groaning of dread not of groaning of like oh here we go again no it was a groaning of dread because everyone in that theater was scared it wasn't like teenagers this movie theater was filled with adults grown adults and we, they were all scared as much as i was the movie had this you know was come synonymous with the the, the series you know, later on, not so much with the, the new one that came out on Paramount Plus. Um, was it this year, last year? Next of Kin, that 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 movie. The movie has this weird rumble and hum anytime the demons are around. Like there was something in that sound mixing that just sent a shiver down my spine every time it did it, and anytime spooky stuff was about to happen. And just like the Blair Witch Project, Paranormal Activity had a very limited cast, super low budget, not heavily scripted and treated it like it was a groundbreaking movie and i loved paranormal activity when it came out and i still love that movie i am one of those people who did not lose faith in the movie it was like ah, oh, it kind of fell off no i loved that first movie and maybe it was because of the the nostalgic reasons that i have for my experience but i really liked that movie and i know a lot of people didn't like the movie and i know for a fact some people in my friend group didn't like the movie because I know for a fact that most of them and most of the people probably online that watched this movie were the ones that torrented it or illegally downloaded the movie online, which is, you know, people, something people did. Although I find that very hard to do now because there's so many movies all on streaming. But anyway, whole different topic. Uh, but because for all intended purposes, Paranormal Activity was definitely a movie that you should have seen in theaters. I think you would. I think you got the best effect of watching it for the first time in a theater with a loud ass sound system and a big screen and maybe even, you know, a really hot crowd. Uh, I think that would, that was probably the best way to watch that movie. And I remember trying to figure out uh, everything I could about the movie after it came out. They had like three, four different endings that they shot or were thinking about. I think like they filmed like three of them and one of them was, was being talked about or storyboarded. Uh, the original ending for the movie was changed once the movie got picked up because they wanted a different ending for it. So they went back and changed the ending that we got in theaters. But seeing how Paranormal Activity, how successful Paranormal Activity was, rather, studios were like, yeah, we want in on that. You guys did something great. It reminded people of Blair Witch Project, was, which we also know was a tremendous success. We want in on that. And to give you an idea of how successful Paranormal Activity was, the budget for the movie was $450,000. Yes, 
$450,000. And the majority of that was because they filmed the movie in director Oren Pally's house. The opening box office for the movie, because it was a limited opening, it was a limited release, obviously didn't have, you know, the big wide release like a horror movie would, and made a little over $77,000 its opening weekend. That's still pretty impressive and that's still pretty big. But once it started rolling out and word of mouth started, it, it made a lot more money. And it's still a big deal because the movie came out of nowhere and it ended up, it ended its box office run with a domestic take of $107.9 million. $107.9 million out of a $450,000 budget. I don't know about you, that's pretty successful in my book. Now that same year, one of my personal favorite found footage movies also came out. It came out in Spain and it's the Spanish movie Record or Rec for short as the movie is called and as I will call it from now on. Rec. I absolutely love Rec. I showed my friends this movie because I was known uh, as the movie guy and I still kind of am a little bit, but I was known as the movie guy. So almost every time we hung out and they asked me to bring a movie, it was most likely a movie they probably had never seen. Uh, or, you know, a movie that they have, they, you know, they probably heard about and I somehow had a copy of it. I don't know how I got a copy, of it, but I had a copy. Of it. Now I mentioned that my house gets very dark. And in this case of wreck as well, because my brother and I, we watched it. My brother got a, his hands on a copy from the movie uh, of the movie from Spain. And we watched it in his room, super dark. We were in the back of the house. His room is in the back of the house. We were so goddamn terrified <laughs> after we watched this movie. The moment that did it for us, the moment that I think does it for everybody is the attic scene. And it's a scene that everyone talks about when they talk about Wreck. It's a scene that everyone talks about. It's the revolving camera shot that we all know and that everybody loves. It's a scene that has been done so many times over again with other movies. It's not even funny. It's the shot of the camera doing a 360 up the attic and then that little demon child swiping at the camera. And that image and that scene have stuck with me since 2007. I am not even kidding. I loved everything about Wreck, the, the chaotic nature of it, the isolation, the characters that actually feel real and that I liked, the scares, all of it. And then they went and fucked it all up with the remake. <laughs> quarantine. I did not like Quarantine. I remember sitting, uh, We went, my brother and I went because we loved the movie, first movie so much. And we knew it wasn't going to be good and we wanted to go watch it anyway. I did not like Quarantine. We went on a Friday night. Theater was pretty much packed. I remember specifically because I had just had my appendix taken out like probably the week before so like i was still a little like you know little tender in the area and we sat in theater friday night and we just no <laughs> we, we walked back to the car we we're like no this 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 no this was not for us and there are certain amount of times that i have felt and still feel for you know other movies not just wreck strongly about a movie not needing a remake wreck was definitely one of those movies and it is still to this day one of those movies that does not need a remake did not like quarantine you would never hear me. If you want to hear me rage, we can talk about quarantine. But I'm not going to talk about quarantine on this podcast. But then the, the next big found footage movie that came out, it wasn't in the horror genre. It was horror adjacent, but it wasn't necessarily in the horror genre. It was the very tight-lipped Cloverfield. A movie, again, great marketing. What is it? Is it an alien movie? Is it a secret Godzilla movie? I shit you not. I remember seeing this somewhere. I don't know where. I can't remember where it was. I should have looked it up. But I remember vividly, and I still remember because I was writing this down. I was like, oh, that's, that's right. I remember this rumor. There were people saying this was a secret Voltron movie. 
Again, I shit you not, I saw that somewhere. It wasn't somewhere online. It was a website, and it wasn't like an April Fool's thing. People literally thought this was a secret Voltron movie. But J.J. Abrams and Matt Reeves came together and gave us a found footage kaiju movie. And that was really, really cool. It was an original monster. Yeah, it took inspirations from other things, but it was pretty much an original monster. And it, it was good. I am still, even to this day, part of a very probably small group of people that genuinely have fun watching the first Cloverfield movie. And again, my theater experience, when opening weekend, I think it was Friday night too, I remember when the movie ended in a packed theater on for again friday night some girls like way like i was sitting all the way on top and there were, i think they were sitting like somewhere like near the bottom girls were booing some girls booed because of the ending but i i like chlorophyll i still do even to this day and the monster like that shot of the monster looking down at us i thought that was really cool i i that's that's an image that sticks with me too that's that's a really awesome shot and even at the time i wondered once chlorophyll came out if this concept the idea of found footage just that just you know that pov's kind of style was going to transfer over to other genres after cloverfield because cloverfield you know was pretty successful at least at the box office solidly successful rather and it took some time obviously you know it went back to the horror genre a little bit but it did you know find its way to some other movies one of them of course being district nine because district nine took the concept and at first, it felt like a guerrilla-style like documentary, which is kind of what they were doing. And then they kind of flipped it over to traditional filmmaking. But that concept allowed for other films to be like, okay, we can take the found footage concept, and even if it's just like a small portion of the film, we can go ahead and you know add it into the add it into other stuff, which I thought was really cool. But the found footage movie, uh, found footage concept, you know, started making the rounds. And then we got some other foreign movies. Obviously, Rec Two came out as well, which was equally as good as the first one. And it took the concept and evolved it. Because obviously the big thing with found footage movies, and I'll get to more in a minute, is why is everyone still recording when crazy shit is going down? Because that's obviously the, one of the biggest complaints that people have about found footage movies. But what Rec did is that it followed a SWAT team that had body cameras on. Uh, and they were going into, the, in just case you never watched Rec 2 or Rec 1, uh, you know, there's Rec 1 and there's Rec 2, what follows a SWAT team that go into the same building because it takes place like a few hours after the first movie. So that was really cool. Of course, Paranormal Activity 2 came out, which was equally as good. And I have a brief story about Paranormal Activity 2 because my brother and I went to the, to the movie, or went to go watch the movie uh, on a Saturday morning. I think it was like the first or second show of the movie. And it was us and two old people, like, like seriously, two old people sitting in the front row ahead of us and shout out to those old people because they stayed the entire movie. Yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Eli Roth, of course, produced The Last Exorcism, which was okay. And honestly, I didn't think I like it because it was an Eli Roth movie. I'm not the biggest fan of his. But I felt like the movie itself. Here's a story. We're going to tell the story. We're going to tell you know make you care about the characters. We're going to have an actual story in our movie. And then you know we'll do the traditional you know crazy final act of a found footage movie and that's what that movie was and then you know they kind of ruined it with the sequel and like the sequel and at the time there was a, like again i kept mentioning foreign movies uh there was a norwegian movie called troll hunter which i didn't watch until like years later but that's also very good if you want to watch it even george a romero took a crack at a found footage with diary of the dead that movie is unlike the found footage movies at the time in that it had potentially familiar faces that people may have seen and a movie that is actually what we suspect a found footage movie is. Because I think we all know the idea behind the found footage is that some mysterious person or us, the audience, have found this mysterious footage somewhere and we're watching the horrors of whoever had the camera and lost along the way. And Diary of the Dead follows a group of friends 
who are filming a horror movie when the zombie invasion breaks out. So FYI, one of the characters survives. I won't say which one it was, in case you want to watch it. One of the characters survives and does a voiceover. Maybe two characters survive. I can't remember how many survivors there were. But obviously some characters survive. And the reason why I bring that up is because there's a voiceover at the beginning and tells us, here's the behind the scenes of the movie, but and also what happened when the infection broke out from our point of view. And because I'm a filmmaker, I'm going to add music for the film cinematic purposes for you, the viewer watching, whoever, however you got your hands on this, so you can, you know, feel like you're watching a movie. I thought that was very interesting. And it just added to the, you know, obviously cinematic experience. That said, I don't remember liking the movie that much, to be honest. Uh, I have wanted to revisit it for that purpose, especially, you know, putting in the work for this podcast. And also because, you know, it just happens to be, you know, George A. Romero. I've never actually watched this movie and I've heard about it, but I never got around to watching it. And it blew up during the pandemic because of, of TikTok of, <laughs> of all places. And it's Megan is Missing. The movie follows a girl who searches for her missing friend, Megan, obviously, after she, disip- after she disappears after meeting a guy online. And this movie, even from the description and the clips that I've seen online, mainly from the, the people who have watched this movie, even back then and even to now, after you know, everyone who's rediscovered the movie, it has fucked up some people online. It has just, just utterly destroyed them. And I could see why. So much so. That the movie, this, by the way, this movie came out in 2011 and it was in 2020 when it blew up again. Obviously, again, during the pandemic, the director had to put out a message and say, if you can't handle disturbing movies or if you see this image at this specific time code, just fair warning. If you can't handle disgusting movies, do not watch this movie. If you can handle disturbing movies, you do, cannot watch this movie. And we talked about uh, movies earlier being banned in Cannibal Holocaust. This movie, Megan is Missing is banned in New Zealand. So, fair warning, in case you ever want to watch the movie, I, I don't know what happened. Or I do know what happens, rather, because uh, I've read about it, and I, again, I've seen little clips and stuff here. I can I can see why you would want to warn people about this, uh, about watching this movie. So, it is not for the faint of heart. But in 2011, speaking about Megan is missing. I think is where people were kind of over the found footage phase in general. Yeah, there were still a ton of movies that were coming out with the with this with the concept, and I think at that point people started realizing the one fault in found footage movies, besides the shaky cam and the mostly one known characters, and you know why why are you still filming this? I would not be filming this and and running and talking. I would just run away. The big fault in found footage movies that even I can admit to is that they're all kind of the same. Which honestly, again, yes. They all involved everything going to hell in the final act, aka the last pretty much 10-15 minutes of the movie. But it's all about how they do it and what actually happens. Of course, the Paranormal Activity movies all thrived on the slow build and kind of crazy ending. But after the third one, which was in 2011, the franchise started going downhill, as did the, the subgenre. You had different takes in found footage, like the anthology series with VHS all directed by different directors and telling different stories, which was great. You had the concept, again, jump around from horror to other genres. Project X being one of the big ones was focused on a party and and was a comedy and famously Chronicle, which took the coming of age and superhero genre and mashed it uh, pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, the legacy of Chronicle is now tarnished by Max Lendis being a complete piece of garbage uh david ayer's end of watch had found footage elements in the movie it was told through traditional filmmaking but it had it mixed found footage concept uh, most specifically you know body camera 
And one of the characters, Jake Gyllenhaal's character in the movie, is recording everything because kind of documenting his life and everything. So it's a bit jarring, but it made sense for what the movie was doing. And it was with End of Watch, like District 9, where the found footage concept had elements in other movies, which I assume the audiences found okay because they weren't watching a whole movie. So I think audiences were accepting of it being uh, in different parts and not entirely the whole movie and, and everything like that. And then in 2015... We have Unfriended, which I didn't watch Unfriended. I have not watched it. But for the first time, I remember seeing the concept of what they're calling and what they have called screen life, which is where the action is taking place on a computer screen. And I thought and still think that is a nice evolution of the found footage genre. Yes, it's limited in its storytelling, but if done right, it can be really good. The mystery thriller drama Searching did this. The sequel to Unfriended continued to do it. And then in the pandemic... We got one of my favorite movies of the pandemic era, if you want to call it that, especially with horror, in Host. It's short. The characters are likable and relatable. It was timely because of the pandemic. It's spooky as hell and effective. I loved that movie when I watched it, and I, I will follow anything that crew does from this point forward. And I think they have an, they had another movie called Dashcam that they released as well, which I, I really want to watch. And I think they have another one set up very, very soon. A couple of the last found footage movies I want to bring up, though are Found Footage 3D and Hell House LLC. I saw Found Footage 3D during the Bruce Campbell Horror Film Festival held here in Chicago. And the cool thing was the whole cast was there. It was a premiere, so it was really cool to be in the room when that happened and watching it for the first time. And that movie, similar to Diary of the Dead, followed a group of independent filmmakers who are making the first ever 3D found footage movie in a remote cabin somewhere in Texas that is supposed to be haunted. It also weirdly mirrors what's going on with the two characters in the movie. So in the movie's movie, it follows a wary couple who experience supernatural occurrences. Obviously, the crew experience their own with two of the characters also going through a divorce in the in the movie. The movie itself, found footage 3D, wasn't 3D. It wasn't like a cheeky title or like a gimmick. It was actually really cool. It was actually in 3D. And it's a cool thing about the movie that, that I did really like is that the entity that's, you know, causing all the mayhem around them they did this really interesting way of implementing the entity and implementing the 3d aspect which i thought was really cool and i found never and i'll leave it at that in case you ever want to watch obviously it's gonna be really different to watch a movie i don't know if it's streaming anywhere or if it's on vod anywhere that you can watch it but you probably obviously can't watch it in 3d but if you can i thought that that was pretty cool and the last one i want to talk about like i mentioned is hell house uh, hell house llc I saw this for the first time last year. It was released in 2015. And I always heard about it. It was always one of those movies that were like, oh, you need to watch this movie if you're a horror fan. If you, if you, if you dig the found footage concept, you'll, you'll really like Hell House LLC. And it was good. It was. The movie follows a group of friends who are starting a haunted house in an abandoned and said to be haunted old manor that they fix up a little bit and slowly learn the th things about the manor. Because one of them keeps it quiet to himself because of course he does because he's got to add drama and they all start to experience and see things that don't make sense i didn't really know anything about hell house llc besides you know hearing people saying it's good you should go watch it i think that played to my advantage because i really dug the hell out of the movie the characters are pretty likable the scares are really effective and while it does the tr traditional everything breaks down at the finale how house llc does it in a very interesting way that makes it stick out and i know there are sequels but i hear those aren't really good uh, as the first one so i'll leave it at that so what i say all that so there you have it so all that said 
uh, when I say I'm a fan of the found footage subgenre, uh, I think I'm a fan of it in moderation, especially now. I think it has evolved itself and can still evolve itself in a lot of ways. I think, you know, in terms of because, you know, we're in the period of Hollywood where it's all about franchises and tentpoles and established IPs. And it would be really hard to sell a found footage movie to an audience that either didn't grow up on it like I did and maybe some of you guys listening. And since they are all pretty much shot on a low budget, it would be harder to draw in big names or one or two big names in the lead. Because that's the other thing about found footage movies is that uh, you, you they're all really like newcomers or people that no one really knows or that have done, you know, limited amount of projects starting in these movies. So unless the trailer is really good and blows people away or you can you know, have a very well-known producer or director that you can slap on every promotion material you can find, it's probably not getting butts and seats. Because again, that's the thing about found footage movies is that they don't really have big names in it. And because, you know, you kind of had to make it somewhat believable because these are everyday people. If you see, you know, like Brad Pitt, you know, you're not going to get Brad Pitt in found footage movie, but let's just say Brad Pitt or someone like that. Or, you know, keep it, you know, keep it time with Halloween. You see like a Jamie Lee Curtis in a found footage movie. You're going to be like, oh, well, you know, yeah, it's like we know it's a movie, but it's like, OK, that just takes me out because that's obviously Jamie Lee Curtis uh, or Laurie Strode or whatever, you know. Uh, the mom from Freaky Friday. So having not necessarily big actors or anything like that in your movie, it makes it for the audience a little bit more believable in, in some cases. But I think the evolution is important from the screen life, as we're calling it, from you know from computer screens to dash cams. Like I said, there's a movie called Dash Cam out. Uh, there, I think there's a new one on Shutter also. Called, I forgot what was. Forgot to write down the, the title of the movie, but I think there's another one on Shutter that came out that is also kind of like a found footage movie. The subgenre has been around for a while, and every now and then it comes back with a decent push and force. Are all the movies good? No. The repetitive nature for them, I think, is enough to it's a fairly draw criticism because you're 99% of the time walking into a movie where everyone dies. <laughs> Let's be let's be real. At least the main characters uh, that you maybe have come to like, or in the case of The Gallows, which I did not talk about because I do not like that movie. That is one of the few movies where I wanted every character to die because they were so annoying. If you're going to make found footage movie, make your characters at least likable. And, you know, don't make them one note because that is the problem with found footage movies is because you don't, you know, you're seeing limited things while you're recording, you know, and all the crazy stuff is happening. Yeah, you can reveal how a character is and, and what they would do in that situation. But a lot of times they're still one note characters. So it's very hard to to do that. Is it fun to watch where, again, most of not all the people die? Sometimes, yeah, obviously the slow burn of it all. That's another thing. A lot of these found footage movies are very slow burn movies, the slow reveal. And a lot of the time, fans can get really into that, and a lot of times, no. And that was the earlier advantage for found footage movies, right? You never know what to expect. And sometimes it's demons, sometimes it's an occult or Mother Nature, like uh, uh, was Into the Storm, which is a found footage movie. That movie, it's, it's done in traditional format, but there is some found footage aspects in that movie as well. But that movie had a, like a big name cast, like... Um, uh, Sarah Wynn Cayley's from The Walking Dead is in there. Richard Armitage is in there. He plays like the father. He plays like one of the main leads. So that ca that cast had like big names in it. And it was kind of like a, I guess I would say like a modern day twister. I guess you you could say, but uh, but yeah, that that was that was a really good movie. I actually ended up liking that movie a lot more. So that was Mother Nature, or uh, literally going down to hell in the movie as as above so below, which I did not like. 
But apparently that movie has kind of gotten a second following from a lot of people recently, maybe during the pandemic era where people discovered it. Uh, and sometimes it's just a serial killer or someone unhinged, like in Creep, which I have not seen yet. Otherwise, I would really talk about it. I know there's people that are familiar with the found footage genre and the horror genre, and they're like, why didn't you talk about Creep or Creep 2? I have not watched those movies. I hear they're very good, and I apologize. I will try to fix that um, this month. But uh, yeah, apparently Creeps are also very good. But we like cheap scares, right? I think we deserve cheap jump scares every now and then. Not, you know, don't make it a habit. Just every now and then make, you know, a good cheap jump scare is probably good. Uh, do I think the subgenre can make a comeback? I don't know. You know, like I just mentioned, I, I think it's done pretty well with the sporadic releases on streaming, which I think streaming is probably a good place to to have the found footage genre be. Just because, again, I think it's a really hard sell in theaters. It, the, you know, but that, that being said, you know, a little preview for next week. Uh, of what we're going to talk about of the horror movies that have come out in theaters this year for horror has been super super good and a lot of it is not you know big named horror stuff a lot of it is original horror movies that fans are appreciating can that work you know can can all that can the, the love for horror and the found footage genre you know come back i don't know i really don't know because I think a lot of the a lot of the horror movies that are coming, like Barbarian, for example, or um, what was the other one? I can't think of the other one now. I really can't think of the uh, Barbarian is the only one that came to mind for some reason. You know, horror releases this month. Terrifier, I guess that's the only one. Terrifier two came out uh, recently this this month, and that's you know that that's doing its own. It's not found footage, but you know, and neither is Barbarian. But in terms of the conversation, I, I want to talk about them. Those are you know original horror movies that have no connection to any IP, that have no connection to anything else. And they were a smile. That was the only one I was thinking about. I don't know why I couldn't think of it. Smile. Those are, you know, movies that have no prior connection to any sort of IP besides, you know, who's attached to them producer wise. And those are doing very, very well. Like smile did just as much money its second weekend, which is not very normal in in Hollywood or in the box office. It's original horror movies. Maybe it's also the time. It's October. More people want to go watch horror movies, especially in theaters. You got a horror movie theater. People are probably going to go and watch that movie because it's the season. It's spooky season. So, but can you do, can that be delivered with a found footage movie? Maybe. Maybe if the found footage movies were coming out in October during these, you know, years where it was falling off, it'd probably be a different story because a lot of these found footage movies were coming out in January for some reason. They weren't coming out in October. Like, even if you don't have faith in that movie, it's spooky season. People are going to go watch a horror movie in theater. If it's October and you release a horror movie in October, I guarantee you, even if the movie's not good, it will make a lot of money because people want to watch horror movies in theaters. People just want to watch horror movies this time of month. And if you can have, if you have a good one, if you have a good looking one and good word of mouth comes out and you, you know, put all your effort into it, people are going to go watch that movie. So I think that was another problem with the found footage movies. They were just dumping them randomly in different months january november august in the middle of the summer for some reason and they just weren't they just weren't good and they weren't you know a lot of the time i I probably some of these movies probably don't even deserve the the found footage concept you could probably could have that movie could have been probably done better if it wasn't found footage it's doing pretty well on streaming i would say i think streaming is probably a good place for the found footage genre to be vhs is obviously finding its success on shutter and there's you know all the other you know host as well dash cam uh, the other one that i couldn't think of earlier but 
do I want to see uh do I want to see the final footage movies on the big screen again? Again, I think you'll just have to be really good. Release it in October. That's all I ask. Don't release it in January. Don't release it in September. Don't release it in the middle of the summer, in between you know sandwiched between two big movies or on a movie or when another big movie that people are gonna you know people are gonna go watch over your movie. Don't do that. Release it in October. I think that is your best option to do. Or you know now with streaming services, release them there. Down footage again. I mentioned, you know, the issues I have with them. They're all kind of the same. But I think knowing that, it's all about the ride. It's all about the journey. And if you can make that journey worthwhile, I think found footage can stick around for quite a while. So, all right, that's it. Just give me something good. Just give me something good. That's all I ask for. And I'll be there. All right, so I briefly mentioned it next week. We'll be looking at the year of horror and horror-adjacent movies that I have seen this year so far. Uh, I want to add, I definitely want to add a few more before I do that episode. So that episode may be delayed. It may not come out on Monday. It may come out like maybe in the middle of the week. Maybe I'll even save it for Friday in case, you know, I can't have a weekly roundup of news podcast. But that episode will most likely probably not come out on Monday. Just telling you that right now. So apologies in advance for that. But uh, I hope you guys are okay with that because I definitely want to add more movies. I have not seen some big horror movies that have come out yet. Definitely want to go watch them. So thank you guys for watching and listening uh, to the podcast. I appreciate it. And I hope you like it. Let me know what your thoughts on found footage are. Do you share my opinion? Do you? Uh, what do you think? Do you think that found footage can make a comeback on the big screen? Not necessarily streaming or the small screen on the big screen. Do you think you can make a comeback? Uh, do you like found footage movies? You know, let's strip away the, you know, why are they sitting, why are they still recording? Why everything's going around? Let's strip that away a little bit. Do you like them? Let me know. And uh, let me know your favorite found footage horror movie. Maybe it's a movie you haven't watched yet. Maybe we can talk about it. Who knows? But all right. Uh, everything you guys need to contact me and listen to the podcast anywhere else is linked down below. Thank you guys so much for listening to this found footage episode. Uh, again, it, it tweaked. It wasn't um, originally how I planned it out, but I think I'm I'm happy with how it turned out with this episode. So thank you guys. I will see you guys next week. Again, it might be delayed just because I want to watch more horror movies and talk about them on the podcast. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. And I will see you guys next time.